Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to helping you develop your teamwork, your leadership, and your culture. Whether we're talking business or personal lives, all three have a very profound impact on us every single day of our lives. This afternoon, we're joined with Doug Raybold. Doug is joining us from San Antonio, Texas in the United States. And Doug's got a, a, a very diverse background and it's really fascinating. Doug, I guess we, you and I have known each other now for about eight or nine years, uh, attending several conferences together. And with over 30 years in various leadership positions, both in and out of the information technology arena, he's made it his goal to help, hear, hear this out guys, help both sides of the organization understand each other. What a novel idea is that? Wow. Mm. He partners with organizations today, uh, helping work with uh, assistance in both business as well as information technology. And that's, that's a key element in understanding things. He's capable of effectively understanding and communicating with all levels of the enterprise to demonstrate the business value and the current future investments in three very key areas, people, processes, and technologies. Doug, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you, Greg. I'm glad, you, glad you're joining us here. Like I said, you and I have known each other for several years and going through the HDI conferences and everything. And it's, it's, we, we've got a common sense there, and you and I have talked over the years. But give us a little background, if you can, on who you are, how you got to where you are. I know you've got a diverse background, but share with some of the listeners here about how you got to where you are today running Bold Ray Communications. Sure. Um, or consulting, thanks. I should say, Bold Ray Consulting. Right. Thanks, Greg. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually been, a, been an interesting journey for me. I, I started off in financial services many years ago. I spent uh, 18 years in sales and sales management in various capacities. Um, had, a, had a very lucrative and, and successful career in sales and sales management, um, but never really, you know, while, while I enjoyed solving people's problems, I, I never really enjoyed the grind of sales. Um, I, I enjoyed the solution mindset and, and the relationship building aspect. I just didn't, all, all the financial aspects aside, I, I just didn't find the career particularly rewarding. And so um, I always had an aptitude and an interest in technologies, um, but it was all self-taught. I literally only took one, uh, one college course in, in uh, computer science when I was in college. Um, I got a, got a liberal arts degree. Um, but I always had this interest in technology, even going back to when I was, was in grade school, I, you know, I was in the computer labs and when I was in high school, I was in the computer labs. And so at 42 years of age, I, I turned to my wife and I said, I'm not happy doing what I'm doing and I don't want to do it for the rest of my life. And she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd really like to pursue this whole IT thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm not even sure what I'm getting myself into, but I really enjoy technology. And not, um, you know, I, I really saw that technology, this was 12 years ago, I really saw that technology was evolving. It was no longer just focused on the widgets. It wasn't just gadgets and things anymore, but it was really starting to evolve toward the people aspects. 
and the business aspects. It, you know, the, the buzzwords back then were business engagement. It wasn't business value, it was business engagement. And so I said, well, I know how to engage with people and, and I enjoy engaging with people and I enjoy solving things. So I said, you know, I, I'd really like to try IT. And so it just so happened, um, uh, my mother had, had just passed away from a stroke. So I found myself between jobs. Um, I took a, a temporary job in a, in a call center um, because my, my last position before that had been, uh, had been in a call center. And so um, it just so happened that my, one of my training uh, colleagues and I happened to sit next to each other when we got onto the production floor in the call center. And, and he says, you know, I see you doing all kinds of stuff with your, you know, building spreadsheets and stuff to manage your contacts outside, you know, the CRM that we use. He says, you should probably talk to my wife. And I said, well, why is that? And he says, well, she runs the, the call center for Whataburger. And, you know, we're currently moving from the headquarters from Corpus Christi to San Antonio. And she needs people with good technical skills. And I was like, well, I'm not sure I'm that guy. <laughs> you know, I just know how to do what Humble I know. as ever. Okay. Right. Um, a lot of self-taught skills, but, you know, nothing formal. Um, but she gave me an opportunity. Um, you know, she literally came out and interviewed me at lunchtime one day. Um, and uh, she gave me the opportunity to join the service desk. And so I, I went from, uh, you know, from a six-figure career to earning, you know, $12 an hour working third shift overnight, starting off as a level one service desk analyst. But I really learned the business from ground up and, and I really embraced that opportunity. And, and so, um, you know, progressed through the ranks, became a senior analyst, then became a supervisor. Then uh, because of my background in call centers as a leader, um, I was asked to lead some projects to upgrade our IVRs and, you know, uh, to, to you know, implement a lot of technologies within our service desk itself. And uh, so it, it really was sort of a rocket ride from there. Um, embraced, you know, sort of ITIL process using the old ITIL V3 terminology. ITIL. Okay, let, let's be clear. We have a lot of folks that are not necessarily IT savvy. So right. ITIL stands for, tell everybody about that, what it used to stand for, of course. Uh, right. Information Technology Infrastructure Library, which, if you will, is sort of the, the process Bible for, for IT, uh, IT infrastructure and, and uh, delivery. Um, and so, you know, I, I really sort of embraced that, uh, evolved into some other roles, uh, leading change management and knowledge management and problem management, a, a, lot of, a lot of the things that support, you know, in, in uh, information technology support processes. So, um, you know, it, it really sort of took off from there. Um, I started speaking at conferences and, uh, and, you know, really sort of the rest is history. I, I've made a couple of uh, company changes since then. Mm -hmm. uh, Whataburger was very good to me. It was very formative in, in, uh, in helping me grow and develop. Um, but uh, I, I've seen a couple of career stops since then. And uh, every one of them has been, has been a pleasure. Um, and from everyone, I've taken away, you know, good tidbits that have, have helped me grow and develop into, uh, into an IT technologist, if you will. You know, the key thing that I, I took away from that, Doug, was you were extremely successful in another career. And you made, you made the mention that you went from $100,000 six-figure income down to, you know, basically $12.95 an hour. 
And there's a lot of folks today who would not have the guts to try and do that. What was it about making that kind of a transition? Were you confident that you could make the move back up? Starting, I mean, working on third shift. I mean, that, that, that's a difficult move to try and make. What gave you the drive? What, what gave me the drive is, is um, you know, I, I really just, as I said, I, I, I felt stale in what I was doing. I, I, I no longer was enjoying it while the financial rewards were there. The, I guess the intangible rewards were not there. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I say it in just about every interview I do along these lines. God bless my wife for, you know, for putting up with, with my middle age craziness of wanting to, you know, to give up such a, you know, such a lucrative career and start over from, from the ground, uh, you know, from the ground level. But yeah, it was, it was really, uh, I, I've always been a fairly confident person. Um, and, and so I always felt that, you know, it, it was something that I, I always wanted to try. And I felt that level of confidence that I, I would be able to grow and progress and develop. Um, did I, you know, did I, did I want to stay at, you know, that first year, I, I think I made $32,000. Did I, did I really want to give up, you know, hundred K plus to go to 32 and stay there? No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I did have my eyes on the prize of, of expanding beyond that. Um, and, and so what I did is, you know, using that business acumen that I had from, from my prior career is, I began networking a lot, um, you know, and, and I think, Greg, you and I probably met each other the first conference I went to and, and have stayed in touch over the years since then. Yeah, it's uh, called networking. That's, that's exactly what it is for both of us. Yeah. And, and so I, I've relied on that network. And, you know, when, you know, frankly, I would put in for every job that came up. And, you know, I, if I didn't get it, at least people knew I had an interest in, in growing and expanding my horizons. Mm -hmm. And what I is I, I would actually do a follow-up with them. Hey, I, I know I probably wasn't qualified for this this time. What can I do to prepare myself to be qualified for it the next time? And, you know, in, invariably those people remembered me and, um, you know, in, in some cases I went to work for them, not in the role that I, that I wound up interviewing for the first time, but in a better role later on. Exactly. It's, 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 it's exactly that direction and having the fortuitiveness to stick with it. And the other thing that you, you talked about is you, you followed back through with everybody. And that, that actually came from your sales background because understanding the sales process, that, that's what drove you for that part. I'm quite confident. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's an old adage in sales that no never means no. It just means not now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember in one of my sales trainings, every no is one step closer to a yes. <laughs> so... There's no secret, you know, you and I've talked over the years, there's no secret. You've got an absolute love for this place called Disney, you know, yeah. you, the magical mystery of Disney and everything of that direction. You've used it in a lot of your talks. You've talked about it with me about um, how Disney's kind of shaped you as far as what you've done, as far as building your teams and things of that direction. Share with us, what is it about the Disney and the magic, if you will, of Disney that really helps you? Absolutely. And, and, you know, if there is one organization on the face of this earth who understands customer experience and understood customer experience before customer experience was even a thing, before anybody had ever heard that phrase, it's Disney. Um, you know, the, their focus on building that exceptional experience that makes you long to come back 
Um, you know, it, it's funny because I, I do a presentation at conferences and, and it's what's the difference between customer service and customer experience. And I, I sort of liken customer experience to actions. It's what you do for the customer, whereas customer experience is how you make them feel. Yes. And, you know, you, you can go to, you know, and, you know, no knock on, on Six Flags. They're, they're fun and they, they construct some great rides. But the fact is, when you go to Six Flags, you pretty much get the service. You get the actions from them that you would expect at just about any, Disney, at, at, uh, any amusement park. Whereas when you go to Disney, you go away with this exceptional feeling about this experience that you just had. And it makes you want to return as opposed to, um, you know, just just going and enjoying a couple of roller coasters and some overpriced hot dogs. Right. <laughs> and the interesting part is, you talk about the wanting to return. It's not, excuse the expression, it's not just for kids. You know, yeah. it's about the experience for the entire family or even adults by themselves to want to return. They do that in such a way that most organizations can't even begin to fathom. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that, Greg, because um, it just so happens that every fall uh, there happens to be a conference that, uh, that, I attend at, uh, that I attend and typically speak at in the Orlando area. Um, and it just so happens to coincide with when they do the International Food and Wine Festival. And so my brother and sister who live in Pennsylvania always come down to Orlando. And, you know, of course, I've, I've journeyed over there from Texas for the conference. And so we have our little you know, what I call middle-aged, you know, family reunion at Disney without our children. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But, you know, going back to, back to your original question about how it's sort of formulated, um, formulated my approach. Uh, the first time I, I actually went to Disney World was in 1972, four months after they opened uh, Walt Disney World in, in October of 71. Um, and, it, uh, it just happened to have been, you know, my, my grandmother had passed away in Miami and, you know, we, on the way back, instead of it just being, you know, this, uh, this funeral trip that we, that we took, you know, driving back to Pennsylvania, um, we, you know, my dad said, hey, let's, let's stop off at this new Walt Disney thing in, in Central Florida. And so we went and, you know, I, I remember that magic and I remember the way it made me feel. And, you know, we, we started planning because we had family in Miami. We, we started planning every trip to Miami, which we, we typically went every, every year. Um, on the way back home, we would stop in Orlando. And, and so, you know, I, I became this, this, you know, massive Disney fan because I just longed for that feeling that, you know, every time that I would go, just, I got to get back there. And uh, to the point that I remember when I was in college, you know, my friends would be going to Daytona and Fort Lauderdale and I'd say, Hey, drop me off in Orlando on your way and, you know, pick me up on the way back. And so I'd, I'd go and spend the week at Disney while my friends were off, you know, doing, doing the party scene in the beach resorts. Did they think anything <laughs> strange about that? Well, no, what's funny is I actually wound up convincing several of them that that became our spring break, our, ju our junior year. So some of them <laughs> who dropped me off freshman and, and uh, sophomore year wound up joining me junior year. That's, that's awesome. It's, it, you, you keep using the same word several times, and I want to make sure we bring that up, is it's about how it makes you feel when you leave, when you're there. It's all about the feeling. It's the magical feeling of it. And so in business, we've talked with a lot of guests on the Teamwork Advantage 
that also talk about emotional intelligence, behavior styles, customer service, leadership styles, anything in all, and it all kind of comes back to, it's about a feeling. So in what have you been able to use from Disney in the IT world at your help desks or even other places throughout your life? Yeah, so, so great question. Um, what, uh, what I try to do is, is and, and to this day, a, a lot of people, particularly in, in you know, sort of that service desk or help desk um, environment, which, which is really where, where most of my experience is, um, you know, obviously now in, in sort of a directorial uh, role, but um, I'm still, you know, over, over large service desks. What most of the people that get into IT do is, is, is they still interact very well with technologies, but not necessarily so well with people. And so what I try to do is I, is I try to help them capture that, that notion that it, you know, it, it is about how they, how you feel. And, and then, you know, one of the things that I do is, is I meet with every one of our, our new training classes and I give them sort of a comparative explanation of things that they can relate to. And so, you know, one of the things I ask them is if they've ever gone and, you know, tried to return something at Walmart. And, you know, we, we talk about that experience and we talk about how they felt about it. And, you know, you, you can almost hear the audible groans every time you talk about a return at Walmart. Um, and then I compare that to Nordstrom and I actually show them what Nordstrom's return policy is, which is we have no return policy. We base every decision on what's in the best interest of our customer. And so, you know, there's this stark difference between those two experiences that, you know, essentially Nordstrom will take anything back. Whether and, you bought it there or not. Right, exactly. And, and when you compare that to, you know, you know, in essence, Walmart puts you in this adversarial position of you got to have your receipt or, you know, we're going to give you the, the lowest price that we sold it for in the last 30 days if we bring a manager in who will approve that. So we talk about that. And then, you know, I, I sort of transition to that comparative discussion of the amusement park experience. And it just so happens that here in San Antonio, we have a Six Flags Park. So just about everybody has visited it. So when I talk about, you know, hey, it was building a quarry and, you know, it's, it's 105 degrees in, in San Antonio in the summertime, but you, you know, build this amusement park inside of a stone quarry, which radiates the heat back out that it's soaked up throughout the day. It's now 115 degrees in the park, you know, and, you know, it's overpriced and there's long lines and, you know, all, all this stuff. But then you start comparing that to this Disney experience where, you know, you can go on the app and, you know, re, you know, you can reserve rides that you want to ride three per day and, you know, through the fast pass option, all that. And, and even when you get in line, if you decide to get in line, there's all these interactive elements. And so we start talking about the difference between the experience that you want as a customer should be the same experience that you want to create as a service desk analyst. And so that's, that's really the way that I've, I've sort of drawn that whole business value and, and customer experience piece into, um, in, into what we do. And, and you know, that, that's really key because when we start thinking about being able to take that and transfer what you've learned through Disney or any one of other places, Nordstrom's, how do we apply that into our regular business lives? And whether it's providing a level of service 
and keeping in mind that many people provide a level of service to other colleagues. So it's almost a teamwork customer service thing that kind of flies together. And it's being able to do that in a way such that they feel, there's that word again, they feel like they've got value on both sides of that equation. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. Now, we talked about Disney. You and I have talked before about things. I know there are several other organizations that have had an impact on you over the years. I mean, you've worked for Whataburger. And for those who are not really familiar with Whataburger, tell us a little bit about them and how that's impacted you. Yeah, so, so Whataburger, uh, until, until recently, just about a, a year and a half ago, had, had been family-owned for the entire 50-plus year history of the company. And, and truly, uh, I mean, it is, and even to this day, you know, I, I still have good friends and, and uh, former colleagues that work there. And to this day, it truly is a, a family-oriented sort of business. Um, and, and they have this, you know, th this mantra, and, and it's pride, care, and love. And, and so that whole notion of pride, care, and love permeates that organization. And, um, you know, it, the, I, I think back to as I was embarking on this IT career with them, uh, starting off, you know, overnight at, at a entry-level position, Still, everything that we talked about was how do you make the family stronger? What can we do to support you so that you, you know, as a, as a key cog in the organization, and that really was the way it was viewed. A level one analyst on the service desk was viewed as a key cog in the organization because we were there for, you know, we, we had 900, 900 restaurants who were calling us in the middle of the night. And there were three of us manning the phones and they, you know, it, it was abundantly clear that if we weren't there to help them, that there was going to be this breakdown in the family. And so that whole notion of pride, care, and love, take pride in the work, give it all the care that it deserved because of its prioritization. And, and finally show the love back to the organization and, and let the, the, let the organization show the love to you. I've, absolutely you know embrace that concept and 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 that notion and to this day uh, you know the, the teams that work for me and and around me i do my best to make sure that you know while i don't use the pride care and love because that's sort of a trademarked approach to things i still emulate and and, and resonate with those values and, and try to show them back to you know mm -hmm. I, I always say that my my team doesn't work for me i work for them Exactly. The bottom-up approach, and that's a great approach. It, it's, it's interesting you say that because I'm the same way that I want to provide the best level of uh, service that I can, the level of work that I provide all the time. You, you embrace that. Is that something that is just inherent in Doug Raybould? Or is that something that you've had to learn over the years? Was it something you picked up in college? Where, where does that come from? Um, all of the above. Let's, let's be clear. <laughs> most people, I shouldn't say most, there's a lot of people in this world, they say, I'm only here to do a job, shut up, give me my paycheck. So there's a lot of that. That's not the type of person that Whataburger would hire, I gather. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, as part of our, our, you know, our vetting and review process and, and our panel discussions, it was, is this a good cultural fit? Um, and I do that to this day is, you know, and, and remember culture is culture is just the sum of all the activities that go on within an organization. That's all culture is. 
culture isn't something that can be handed down. You know, leadership can say, this is what we want our culture to be, but leadership can't say, this is going to be our culture. And so what leadership can do is set those foundational things in place through the recruitment process, through the selection process, of this is what a good cultural fit would be based on where we want to go and where and what we want to be. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, with, with every organization, I make sure that we understand what our culture aspires to, not necessarily what it is today, but what it aspires to. And then making, making sure that we have all the, you know, all the things in place that will allow us to, to have the culture that we want. It's interesting. So in your history in management, have you ever brought somebody on from that cultural fit and found out later they really weren't a good cultural fit? The great pretender, is that what you're asking? <laughs> or as I like to say, you ever interviewed somebody and found out they were the evil twin of the person you hired? Uh, so, so the fact that I used the term the great pretender, sure, it, it happened. There, there are some people who, you know, and, and you know, I understand people people need to work. Uh, and so some people will get one past you. Um, and that's just the reality. Um, and some people get into, you know, thinking that they're getting into something that, that they really want to do. And, and then it turns out that they don't. I mean, Gallup, Gallup has made a, a quite a, a career for themselves over, over the Q12 um, because of this very aspect of engagement. And so there are those that are actively disengaged, which, you know, if you look at a soccer team, the act, Gallup will tell us that two out of every 11 players on that soccer team are actually trying to score own goals instead of trying to score against the opposite team. Um, but the, the reality is that there's always going to be some folks who are disengaged. What we can do is, is try to mitigate that as, as much as possible um, by putting in place better selection criteria by making sure that you train your selectors very well, those who are doing the interviews, um, by making sure that your recruiters understand where it is that you're trying to go. And so by doing, by putting all those things in place, you, you, you can try to bring that to a minimum. There is going to be the, the one person who is so desperately in need of a job that they'll tell you whatever they think you want to hear and they might get one past you. Um, but um, for the most part, mm -hmm been successful in avoiding that but there have been a few sure yeah so let's talk for a moment here you you've been very successful in business and you, you you've made the major change uh getting into the it world but even more recently you've made another change what advice would you give if we were to go back into you even say the younger doug what advice would you give yourself in making a transition or to somebody today who's looking saying, hey, I'm not happy in my job. I wanna make a change. Whether it's going into out of IT, customer service, help desk, regardless of that, what advice would you give somebody? So something that, that, I've, that I repeat frequently. And, and so it's funny, my team says they're, they're gonna write a book of Dougisms because they're saying <laughs> say over and over again. I'm waiting for them to publish that. Um, but, but one of the Dougisms is, you know, we, we literally spend one third of our, our life asleep. We sleep eight hours a night if we're living a healthy lifestyle. So one third of our life is spent sleeping. And so that leaves 16 hours per day of, of waking life. And in that waking life, typically more than half of that, 
So most of us work more than eight hours a day. So, so typically more than half of that is spent at work, which means that more than half of our waking life is spent at work. If you're not happy doing what you're doing, find your happiness, find that thing that is going to make you feel fulfilled mm-hmm. and, and do it early. You know, don't wait until you're 42 to say, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, <laughs> which is what I did. Oh, I was 35 when I did that. <laughs> yeah. So I waited a few extra years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, f- find that thing earlier in your life and, and, and find what makes you happy so that, because if you're not happy in that in that eight to nine hour work life, you're definitely not going to be happy in the in the seven to eight hours that you're spending with your family, and and that should be the time that that is you know truly the blessing that you truly you know feel fulfilled. Work can get you so far, but you got to be able to spend time with the family. And if you're not happy in the work life, you're not going to be happy when you're spending that time with the family. There's actually some books out that talk about um, people's greatest regrets, you know, and very few people, if anybody has ever said, uh, I really regret not spending enough time at work, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all about that, being able to take the family to Disney, being able to do things with the people. And that's, that's so powerful. The key thing there is find what makes you happy. You've also got to make sure, you know, what makes you happy may be doing something that you cannot earn a living at. So you got to be able to find that little meld of those two. Am I right in that? Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it, it helps if it's something that, uh, that you can pay the bills with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, what makes you happy sitting back on a Friday night, a Friday night drinking a beer? Well, okay, you can't do that all the time and make money. So you got to figure out what makes you happy that can generate and pay the bills. Over the last few years, working in the IT world and working at help desks and call centers, you've now also become kind of sought after uh, as a speaker and a trainer, a conference person to go there. Tell us a little bit about what you do in that realm. Sure. Um, I recently became certified as, as a certified instructor for a couple of HDI courses that um, HDI is a, is a trade organization. Um, I, I happen to be president of, of the national organization right now, um, but that's not why I got myself certified. I got myself certified because um, I wanted to be able to share those best practices with the, the folks that, um, that I support on our service desk. Um, and so uh, I, I work with them on teaching them best practices through this certification program for the, the managers and the team leads, and then also with the analyst level so that, so that those, those folks are actually taking the frontline calls when, when somebody calls in and says, I've got a problem that um, they know how to best handle that, both from, you know, not just from a technical nuts and bolts perspective. In fact, that's very little of the content. Mm-hmm. Um, more of the content is, is around how do I speak to them in the language that they understand and how do I relate to them and how do I, how do I ease their concern? Because those are all the things that, you know, going back to the experience we're trying to create, those are the things, if you look at, you know, frankly, most people's dissatisfaction with a help desk interaction isn't about the fact that the issue did or did not get resolved. It's around how they felt about the interaction they had with the Absolutely. agent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are the kind of things that, that I'm working on today is, is how do we, how do we spread this, this word out so that, so that these folks who probably got into it because they, they like 
widgets and gadgets, um, how do we help them understand that there's that human component that is really what's ultimately going to determine their success or failure as an agent? And that goes back, um, it was uh, Jack Welch, I believe, former CEO of uh, General Electric, who just catapulted GE to where they are as a humongous organization today. But what was interesting was his, his, uh, his bachelor's degree, I believe, is in either electrical or civil engineering. But yet it was his ability to network, communicate, and work with the people that really brought up the company. So regardless of what we do, it's all about people that are engaging throughout the processes of our, of our business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, one of the other things that Greg is very important to me is, is helping people to grow, to learn and develop. Um, and to that point, I, I mean, I, I've taken it upon myself and I introduced you to a gentleman a, a couple of years ago at a conference, a, a good friend of mine named Tom Wilk, who I had literally just that day or, or at that conference taken him under my wing. He and I were, were rooming together at that conference. And, uh, you know, he told me, he's like, Doug, I, you know, I'd, I'd really like to break into what you're doing, you know, speaking at some of these conferences. Mm-hmm. I was no veteran at that point. I had only spoken at a handful of conferences and yep. for maybe a year and a half. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I brought him to breakfast with you. Um, you know, I, I asked you, hey, Greg, I know we're, we're going to have breakfast. Do you mind if, if I bring my roommate along? You said, sure, bring him along. Um, and, you know, Tom is now now is sought, o- sought after, if not more so than me. And, and I'm very proud of that. Not not because, uh, you know, it's just because I'm giving back to the community. I, I got so much from people like yourself and, and others that, um, you know, that, that helped me as I you know, as I was growing and developing that now it's a matter of giving back. And, and so yes. that, that, that whole aspect of, you know, taking for a little while, but then giving forever is, is, you know, is something that, that I'm, uh, I very much believe in. Mm-hmm. As I'm a member of the national speakers association. And in that association, we have a philosophy and that is do not worry about getting a bigger piece of the pie, just make the pie bigger. And when we give back, we end up making that pie bigger. So we're helping everybody. And that, that's absolutely powerful in that aspect. There's the, uh, I believe, Eleanor Roosevelt quote that says, you cannot brighten the path of another without brightening your own. So those, those are things that we start to give back. And it's, uh, it goes back to Dr. Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, that's been out, what, almost 40 years now. And he talks about the emotional bank accounts and being able to give. What ways would you recommend to somebody who's just getting started, who doesn't have the wherewith that you and I may bring to the table to be able to give back? What are some things that people can do just kind of getting started to get that spirit of giving uh, mindset? Well, and and so I I kind of mentioned something already, and and that is you need to build that foundation of success for yourself first. Uh, I mean, in order to give, you, you need to understand. And so, you know, I, I've always had sort of a, a, a learner component. In fact, you know, in StrengthsFinder, my number one, my number one thing is learner, um, you know, my number one strength. And so I've always, I've always believed in taking a very systematic approach. When there's something that catches my attention, I take a very systematic approach to um, learning the foundational aspects of it. But then once I, once I feel that I have a good base of knowledge from there, I, I become very much an intuitor and, and an innovator um, rather than just 
you know, build a, a career on the way things have always been, I, I look at how can I, how can I develop it further? How can I take it to that next level? How can I bring my business experience into an IT realm? And, and so that's one of the things that I would recommend is, is for those who want to, you know, embark on this new thing is take that systematic approach. You, you got to immerse yourself in the fundamentals of, of what you're taking an interest in what, you know, if you're, if you're doing a career change, learn the bases for what that, that career looks like. And, and, you know, those, those foundational backbones that, that will, will help you understand what it is, but then find those who are willing to mentor you and, and those who are willing to, um, to help you grow and develop outside, you know, find for, find those outside the box thinkers. Don't just look for the, you know, the person that's always been doing it and, you know, only has one way, but look for those people who, who can help mm -hmm. you innovate. And don't just look for one, look for multiple. Um, you know, Greg, you, you've been one of the influencers on my career since I moved into IT service management, but you're one of, you know, probably a dozen that I, that I could name right now that every one of you has, has helped me grow and develop. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I, where I am today if not for all of you. There is no one way to do something. You know, and we learn multiple ways to be able to work with it. I mean, uh, you and I have both learned from a number of people through the HDI conference over the years. And that, that's the beauty of it is constantly learning. I mean, I always tell people I was in the part of class that made the upper half possible. I was never a good student, but I love to learn. And then I love to be able to share what I have learned. If you look back on one of the greatest football coaches of all time, Bill Walsh from the San Francisco 49ers, great coach. What he's most proud of is the fact of number of other coaches. And if you, if you do a genealogy chart, you'll find that there are more people today in the uh, coaching in the NFL that can actually trace their lineage back to him, which is just amazing at the power in that. And that, that leads credence to what you're talking about is being able to give back in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that, um, you know, I, I've, I've begun writing some, um, I've been writing a series of, of uh, posts for the HDI um, online blog. And uh, one of the things that is, and actually the, the first part of two parts came out uh, this past week. And one of the things that I, that I, uh, I guess a phrase I've coined is techlectic. I look for people who are techlectic. And that is they're technical, but they also have. Can, can you spell that word for us, Doug? P-E-C-H, tech, L-E-C-T-I-C. So it's they're technical and they have technical acumen and ability, but mm -hmm. they also have an eclectic background. And, and it's all based in in the first uh, the first blog post. I, I, I basically blasphemed the IT industry and I said, don't just hire people with an IT background. And. Yeah. and you know, and that's because you're going to miss people who have that creative aspect, who have that innovative approach. Um, most people who are in IT learned IT and, you know, you're, you're inheriting the bad habits. Um, it's funny because the way that I, I drive that point to, uh, to my selectors, uh, you know, on my, uh, on, on my desk is I hand them a resume and that resume, unbeknownst to them, is my resume when I was first hired at Whataburger. And I asked them, would you hire this individual? And nine out of 10 of them have said, 
no, I wouldn't hire that person. They don't have any experience. I said, so you wouldn't hire me. And then they go, oh my God, you know? And, and then they realize that it's, we've, we're so hung up in hiring for skills and skills yes. are things that can easily be trained. What they're not hiring for or hadn't been hiring for before was abilities, the ability to be trained, which is a big difference. And so, so you know, I, I've coined this phrase, techlectic individuals. Look for those with a technical aptitude and acumen, but who may not have the training, but mm -hmm. ability to be trained. And the desire to be trained. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's another organization, you and I talked offline about this group, and I think they've also played a huge part in your career, and that is uh, Southwest Airlines. That is one of their biggest philosophies, is they're looking for somebody who is can be trained because they can train them how to do the job, but they can't train them how to be nice. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Southwest is absolutely a, another organization that, that, uh, you know, I, I, I absolutely value their approach. Um, I won't fly another airline if there's any way I, I can avoid, if I can get there on Southwest, I'll fly a thousand miles out of the way to fly Southwest rather yeah. than fly another, another airline. Um, it's, you know, I feel that strongly about their approach and, you know, they, they've weathered this pandemic storm very well because they did the right things at the right time. Um, and let's, let's face it, they are extremely business acumen. You know, they, they have a, a high level of business acumen. I mean, they, they're, they're probably better at, at, you know, riding the fluctuations in, in fuel costs than anybody else on the face of the earth. Yeah. But, they, that's not what they're about. I mean, it, it's what's helped make them financially sound, but what truly what's made them, you know, I, I guess the, the 800 pound gorilla in the domestic airlines is the fact that they truly believe in and, and love LUV, um, their customers. Um, you know, they, I, I remember the first time I flew them was when, you know, you still, they handed you a paddle and, and I was like, what is this? You know, what, what are you doing to me? <laughs> and, and, and they were like, no, when, you know, when, when we call you, you go select your own seat. I'm like, I do what? You know, this, this was probably 20 years ago. Yep. Like, I yep. get to my own seat. Are you serious? And they're like, yeah. And, you know, that, that whole aspect of, you know, the ability to, to guide your own experience as a customer. Mm -hmm. and, and that's yeah. really what doing you, you get to you know do i want to sit by the engine at the at the window do i want to sit in the back do i want to sit in the front that but ability that, to your own experience is, is and that goes to it because and i want to share this little story with you and i don't know if you've heard me say this before or not but i was in orlando your favorite city flying back to baltimore years ago and that was back when we still had those little paddles we had to get in line get in our abc line and so i got to the airport really early and i sat there on the floor waiting. When I stood up, started to stretch a little bit. I turned around in the A line. I had it like a B2 or B3. I was second or third person in line in that B side. But when I turned back and looked about five or six people back in the A line was a gentleman standing there and he had on a Mickey Mouse baseball hat, sport coat, and a golf shirt. It's like, okay, well, he probably bought the baseball hat for his grandkid or something. Well, we get on the plane. By the time I get there, I can see that baseball hat sitting up over the seats all the way back. He had taken a middle seat in the last row of the airplane by the bathroom. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not exactly my preference of a seat. Right. We sat down. The plane gets off the ground. 
they get ready to start coming through to do the servings for peanuts and sodas. And this is 20, 22 years ago, I guess. And um, he comes down the aisle. I said, well, what's he coming up the front for? There's a bathroom in the back. He talks to the flight attendants. Then he turns around. One of them sits down. And he comes down the aisle and says, hi, my name is Herb Kelleher. I founded this little airline. Thank you for flying Southwest Airlines. That is great leadership as well as great service and great show of love. Yep. Leaders eat last. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Doug, you know, I wonder why, one last question here if we can. You, you've been awarded a lot of winning teams over the years. I know you and your teams have won through HDI several awards over the years throughout your career. What one award, what, what's one thing that really are you most proud of? So interesting question. And, and you're right. I've been, been fortunate to be part of many award-winning teams. When I was at Whataburger, we won the uh, HDI Team Excellence Award. Um, I actually was selected as a, when I was at CPS Energy as the HDI uh, People's Choice Award winner for Manager of the Year. Uh, this year, I won an award through AOTMP, another organization that uh, I've been associated with. Um, but really, you know, the, the thing that I am most proud of in my career is, and, and I actually put this on my bio for, you know, for every conference, you know, if you have five minutes, ask Doug for, for the thing he's most proud of in his career. Um, I think back to when uh, I happened to have done a stint on, uh, on UPS, uh, with UPS when they had uh, a call center because they were integrating UPS freight. Um, they had just acquired um, overnight freight out of, uh, out of Virginia and, and were rebranding them as UPS freight. And I, I ran a project for them um, to, to essentially rebrand and then expand their reach from the small package customer to the freight customer. And we were wildly successful. Um, you know, we, we, we found 12 times the amount of rever new revenue for the company as, as what we were expected to in the first 12 months of, of, that, pro of that project. And so what, you know, what they came back and said was, you know, we're going we're gonna to take all your people that, you know, and, and I only had 13, 14 people in total running that, running that project. And they said, we're going to take all them and make them subject matter experts. And I said, you're going to do what? And they said, we're going to make them subject matter experts. We have 300 people sitting in that call center. You've only got 14. We're going to take those 14 and have them be subject matter experts. So the 300 can, can work the deals. And then, you know, if they need help, then the, the subject matter experts can come in and close them. And I said, well, that doesn't really make sense. You're going to take these phenomenal sales resources and, turn them into subject matter experts. I said, you mind if I find them jobs? And, and they were like, well, what do you mean? I said, overnight freight. Now UPS freight is, needs people that can sell in the field. Just because these people are doing it internally doesn't mean they can't go out and do it externally. And I said, yeah, see, see what you can do. And in a matter of three months um, from my 14 people, Eight of them got hired externally. Four of them had no desire to, and the other two decided to leave the company regardless. So, um, and of those eight, seven of them are still with UPS Freight to this day. And that's, you know, 20, 23 years ago. So wow. they did phenomenal careers for themselves. And, and you know, that, that's one of the things that, that that's, that's just saying, let's build success. Let's, let's set people up for success. Let's grow and develop them to, to be what they want to be. And, and, you know, that, that, 
to this day is, you know, of all the awards and everything that, that um, I've, I've been fortunate to be part of, that's the thing that in my career I'm most proud of. Wow. That's amazing. Cause I had no idea where you were going to go with that answer. And that's just a great one. Cause again, it's your, it shows your spirit of giving back and helping others more so than trying to position yourself with all the awards. Doug, we, we could go on for a long time like this. You and I, again, have known each other for years. So the ability to sit and talk over any meal or a, a glass of wine or anything has just always been there. So I want to say thanks for joining us on the Teamwork Advantage. And uh, hopefully we can get you back here probably another six, eight months or a year and talk about more successes for, uh, for you as in your business and uh, see where it takes you down the road. That'd be great, Greg. And I, I look forward to us uh, having breakfast sometime again soon. And <laughs> maybe we'll have that Friday night beer and, and we won't try to make the living out of it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Folks, every week on the Teamwork Advantage, you are uh, fortunate enough to hear from great people like Doug Raybold with Bold Ray uh, Consulting and about how the power of things can help you build teamwork, leadership, and culture. Once a week, you have know exactly where you are with ideas that you can start to use immediately. As I like to say, when you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So be sure to leave here today and make it an excellent and an exceptional day. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.